0: Uh, Right now, though, uh, this conversation is one that I think is it's absolutely important to have. And I think that it's really important to hear. Imagine yourself at 21 years old, the kinds of things that you were doing, the issues that you were concerned with. Just imagine what you were like, what life looked like at 21. Imagine being in the position of our next guest who's at that age. Cambria Harris is an Indigenous woman who, at 21 years old, has become an advocate for missing and murdered Indigenous women. Now, that's a term that we've heard a lot before, but her story of advocacy is sparked by the loss of her own mother. She's never really had the chance to grieve her mom properly because she's been so busy fighting for justice in this case and too many others that exist here in our country. She's joining us now to talk about her story and her plight for justice. Cambria Harris, daughter of Morgan Harris, one of four Indigenous women Winnipeg believe have been killed by a serial killer in that city. Cambria, thank you so much for making the time for the show. Really appreciate the conversation. Thank you very much. You know, I, I, I really, I want to say, first of all, that I'm so sorry I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm sorry that this is a position that you find yourself having to be an advocate for. But your voice, I think, is so important because to be speaking about your own story and and someone so close to you as your mom, I think it it makes people listen. And this is something that people really need to be listening to. So recognizing that this is a difficult conversation to have, can you... Can you tell us first a little bit about your mom? Who was she? Because she's not just a victim; she was a human being. Yeah. So, can you describe for us who
1: who she was? My mother, Morgan. Um, everyone who knew her, and including myself, growing up, you know, she was she was really funny. She had. She had a different kind of humor about her and whoever met her, you know, always said she had a smile on her face and they always had a smile on hers. Um she was she was a really strong woman, you know, for what she had to go through and she had to be strong to survive. Um she was she was really, really she was really, really nice and you know, she was a really great mom and it was heartbreaking to see her You know, fall through the cracks of addiction, homelessness, and then mental illness while we were in care. But that didn't stop her from, you know, seeing us and just being there the way that she wanted to be and as best as she could. And she was, uh, she had the soul of a UFC fighter, as my auntie says it, because she was five feet. So she had a really tiny stature. um, But that didn't stop her. She had this confidence much bigger than her size. And it showed and everyone loved it.
0: Cabria, can you can you tell us a little bit about what happened? What happened to your mom?
1: My mother, um, she was a victim of a homicide as well as four other women. So Morgan Harris, Mercedes Myron, Rebecca Contois, and Mashkade Bishake ikwe which is Buffalo Woman. Um have all fallen prey to unfortunately a vile creature who you know is known to prey on vulnerable people and it's unfortunate um we had been looking for her since since may and bear Klein ever stopped my auntie and her boyfriend you know every tip that came in it didn't matter what time of the night you know they drove out and there'd be five or six tips a day and then the tips stopped coming in, and none of them were ever heard. And it's just really, really sad. And, you know, this isn't the only case we've seen it happen, but this is the only one that's made national headlines when everyone should because this is something that needs to be talked about. It's a scary, gruesome reality.
0: Well, I mean, this individual was someone who was known to police who preyed on a specific group of people. What have you heard from the Winnipeg police, and what are those conversations looking like?
1: Um, Since this has all happened, I haven't really spoken to the police myself, Um, you know, ever since my ever since I found out that my mother was believed to be in the prairie game last. So when I was heading to Ottawa, I've just been fighting and advocating when I shouldn't have to. Um, So I just been, you know, word of mouth through the media, watching their press conferences and what they have to say and, you know. The meetings with the higher ups, you know, the chiefs and Winnipeg Police or whoever else is meeting, discussing the next steps, federal government, all of that. So I'm I've glad that you been mentioned kind of doing the groundwork.
0: And, and I'm glad that you and you, you certainly have. And it, it, this conversation is doing some of that groundwork as well, getting that message out. And I can't mm-hmm. tell you enough how much I appreciate it. And I hope that it it has some impact or at least a drop in the bucket of the massive impact that's that's needed in situations like this you mentioned cambria the prairie green landfill which is where your mom's remains are are believed to be which i just Mm -hmm. I, i cannot imagine how traumatizing that is for you to to imagine that to have what feels like no closure at all and to have yep. your mom's final resting place be somewhere like that. What are the roadblocks that you've met in terms of the ability to search for her or not search for her? And what would be a positive mm-hmm. result for
1: you? Um, well, it should have been, you know, when the decision was made that they weren't going to search. It should have been, I should have been a part of that conversation, you know, or whoever's close to her. But they made that decision unfortunately and the way they went about it but thankfully you know they are on their side now and they are going to help which I'm very very thankful for but like you said it's um, traumatizing and uh, I just really all I want is I really want just closure I it's traumatizing to think that you know there's mercedes myron and my mother believed to be in the bottom of a landfill and that's not a resting place that's not i can't even go visit there because as i say it's not safe and the roadblocks that we've been facing is something that we shouldn't even be facing it shouldn't have even been a question in the first place to you know even try yeah
0: just the (laughs) the respect that is deserved for for a human life i mean Someone shouldn't be left in that environment, no matter what circumstances they dealt with in in their life. And and like I said, I just I can't imagine what that feels like for you to be in your situation.
1: You've you've talked,
0: you've had some pretty big conversations, Camber. You've talked to the Prime Minister about this. What did he say?
1: Uh, so, Prime Minister Trudeau, he was speaking at that AFN conference that I we had requested to speak to him, and just happened we were in the right place right time and he agreed and we met in a separate room after he spoke and he shook mine and my sister's hands and he said i'm sorry i'm sending my condolences to you we shouldn't have to meet on terms like this um and he was really sad um and so i looked at him and i said you know what no no we shouldn't but something needs to get done because the police weren't doing anything and You know, we need to figure out how to get these women home. And he kind of looked shocked at me because how many people say that right to their face, Mm -hmm. right, to the prime minister and call them out. And so he was just like, yeah, no, absolutely. The federal government's going to be looking into the logistics of a search. And so I was was like, okay. And I was thinking in my head, I'm going to hold you up to your word. I'm going to hold everyone else up to their word because it's finally time to you know, start keeping those promises instead of continually breaking them and dismantling those systems that were, you know, meant to protect vulnerable people, but instead only harm them in the end. And vulnerable people, they're vulnerable. They're they're not safe. They need need more protection.
0: Yeah, and Cambria, I think you will. I think you will hold him to uh, account and hold him to his word, given all of the advocacy uh, that you've done about this conversation and even in your life. I mean, this isn't a new plight for you. You've been speaking out about the pressure that needs to be put on missing and murdered Indigenous women since you were 13, is that right? Yep.
1: Yeah. When, um, so Tina Fontaine, when she was found, I I protested. I wanted to take back the night march. Um, I went to the protests where we shut down Portage in Maine and we had our friendship circle there and we ended up with the Forks and... Because, you know, it was a public outrage. It made people mad. It was another vulnerable girl. And it hurt me because, you know, she was in CFS as well. I was a child in care, and she was around my age. So we rallied. And then when my mother was murdered, a couple days later, we were at a vigil, and I had to watch Tina Fontaine's mother speak. And that broke my heart. And then... People just kept coming and coming with signs and names, and that was my wake-up call, that this is serious. This, this, is, this affects everyone very, very personally. And I don't know why more people aren't talking about it.
0: And continues to happen, yeah. which is something that we should be ashamed of as a country and needs attention.
1: My mother didn't pass away with a home, so let's pay her the respect that she deserves by finally giving her one. That's not a resting place at the prairie green landfill.
0: Welcome back. That's Cambria Harris, daughter of Morgan Harris, one of four Indigenous women believed to be killed in Winnipeg. And Cambria has made it her mission to fight for the rights of murdered, missing and murdered Indigenous women. Cambria, I feel like Canadians have heard stories like this before, but it seems to me that we're now listening more than we used to. And you talk about this story making national news do you agree with that? Do you feel that there's momentum here? And and how do you, much further do you think that we as Canadians really need to go to stop hearing stories like this?
1: So it starts with, um, <clears throat> first off, we need more, we need faster access to addiction services, you know, um, wait lists when people want to get clean they want to get clean right then and there they don't have time to wait and Mm -hmm. they're going to keep using because otherwise they can die from withdrawals um we need more safe spaces uh we need more vehicles for outreach workers and more funds and because a lot of it comes out of their own pockets just saving these people and keeping them off the streets and keeping them warm and safe off the streets at night so they don't freeze to death um and the biggest thing is we need to stop the normalization of the degradation of Indigenous peoples. We need to stop speaking so lowly and, you know, letting other people talk like that and speak so disgustingly and and wrong. Um, it starts with, you know, speaking with your colleagues and asking them where they stand. And if they don't stand on with Indigenous peoples, then, you know, it's time to start having those conversations and asking them, Why do you feel that way? And, you know, hope and pray that they open up their hearts and realize that this is a very real situation and crisis that Indigenous peoples go through every single day. And we feel it as a nation when these things happen to our brothers and sisters.
0: You know, you talk about some some big issues that obviously need addressing, and those help shape your mom's experience. The challenges that she faced throughout her life and the way that the system failed her. How do you think that her, her life's path has shaped your own experience and the situations that you've overcome?
1: And this is what a lot of people need to realize. And it's not a personal test. But people need to educate themselves more. You know, we need to start talking about it more in schools. And, you know, talking about missing and murdered indigenous women is a topic and, you know, the systems and stuff. And it all comes down to intergenerational trauma. And it started with mm-hmm. residential schools. My great-grandmother Rose was a residential school survivor, and, you know, she, her kids went into the system, and then my mother was born, and she went into the system as well. Um, and then my mother struggled with, you know, addiction. We went into care, um, didn't have enough resources for her, and mental illness took over. And when it gets to a certain point, It's hard to help someone because they're just, it's hard to find them, you know. They're, They're always on the go, stuff like that. And she knew how to survive no matter what she was going through. It didn't matter her mental health struggles. It didn't matter her addiction, her homelessness. None of that mattered. She knew where her food was. She knew where her bed was. But society never gave her a fighting chance. And she fought really hard to survive. And she was a very strong and resilient woman.
0: And now, Cambria, it's it's up to you to fight for justice and to fight to move that needle forward. And I, I think you're doing it. I commend you so much for the incredible work that you're doing at 21 years old. I can't thank you enough for speaking to me and our listeners about this. I know that this is still something that's really raw and really difficult, but it's hugely important. Thank you for making the time.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Take care. Thanks.
0: Bye.